Bryn Mawr Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. It is my pleasure uh, to moderate this COVID-19 International Perspectives uh, with my panel. Uh, so I will introduce you, uh, Dr. Hai Lu from Tungan uh, in Beijing, China. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Lu. Hi, thanks for having me on. Dr. Martin Charles from the Charles I Center in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Thank you, Martin, for being Good morning. here with us. And Virgilio Morales Canton from Asociación para la Prevención de la Ceguera in Mexico. Thank you, Virgilio. Good morning to all. Thank you for having me here. Yes, I think it's wonderful that we have a very diverse panel uh, coming from different settings, from private practice and from very large uh, public hospitals like the Tongan Hospital and uh, La Ceguera in Mexico. Uh, so I will tell you a little bit of uh, what has happened uh, in my clinic. Uh, we had a very strict lockdown uh, since March 16th. Uh, we were seeing only emergencies and injections uh, for a while, but now things have relaxed a little bit. So I would say that going from 10% of the patients we normally see, uh, now we are about to 25 to 33% of the patients, but seeing mostly uh, things that are important, uh, injections, patients with diabetes, uh, things like that. Uh, we're doing more lasers, and uh, now uh, people are beginning to do some elective surgeries. Virgilio, uh, maybe you can, you can tell us uh, how things are at La Ceguera. Well, uh, yes, uh, we, I don't remember exactly the date we started in Mexico with the lockdown. And actually it was, you know, the government says it's, it's a lockdown, but it was very partial lockdown. So uh, in La Ceguera, we started at the, I think at the end of March, more or less, uh, with the changing everything. And uh, this uh, complicated a lot because this, we, the, we are a nonprofit hospital and we actually depend economically uh, in the, because of the work we do. So, uh, and basically surgery. So uh, we started as all countries, I think, or most of the countries, uh, seeing only uh, emergencies and uh, diminishing the surgery only to all the things that we know. I mean, retinal detachments, etc. <clears throat> this uh, This situation, uh, diminish the amount of patients. Normally in the hospital uh, before this pandemic, we uh, uh, we saw patients like every day, like 1,600 or something like that. And now uh, the hospital is seeing patients only, we are seeing like uh, 60, 80 patients a day. The surgery diminished like in 10%. So it's really a, a problem. Okay, uh, so I would say another question for you. Uh, in the clinic, do patients, everybody has to wear masks or what type of precautions are you using like in the waiting areas and, and in, you know, when you're examining patients? Yeah, it, it has been a, a, a slow process. 
I, I, uh, I was one of those that seeing and learning from good friends from Italy, Fabio Patelli at the beginning, I, I, I was chatting with him when I, I, even I remember that we were in a meeting in Guadalajara, remember, at the beginning yeah. of this pandemic, yeah. we were relaxed. And little after uh, we heard about the Italy uh, the situation, so I chat with him and he told me, this is very serious. And this is what, like a flash to me. And I was, you know, the, the, at the beginning, I was one of those that we, we were trying to close a lot of things. And then the hospital was more relaxed, no? So uh, I started saying, please separate people, each other, uh, everybody with masks. Uh, and it took a while to do that. Now it is happening like that. But in the hospital, for example, we have one of the uh, uh, persons that work in the laboratory. Uh, he passed away two weeks ago because of COVID. And we have uh, uh, personnel that it's infected. So uh, it's really becoming really difficult, the situation in the hospital. It's very tense. Okay, okay, Martin, and, and tell us uh, about how your clinic is running, what precautions uh, are you taking? Yes, uh, mainly we are, we are treating uh, macular disorders. So our, our patients, uh, re, our list of patients reduce, is reduced by 85%. It's slightly getting um, growing each week from 10 days ago. And uh, for macular disorders, we have been using the regimen treat and extend for the last seven years. So we made slightly changes on, on that regime or on the way on the flow of the patients. So on the pre-COVID area, the patients entered the clinic for injections visit, only injection visit. Um, an OCT was performed, then they were examined by me with the slit lamp, best corrective visual acuity, intraocular pressure was taken, um, and with the OCT, we determined whether the patient was eligible for extension. We planned the next visit, um, and then at the end, we performed the intravitreal injection. So the waiting time was nearly two hours uh, from the patient when from the patient enter the clinic until the patient exit. So what we changed, now we, we call the patients to explain the change of the patient flow on the day of the visit, that I think it's really important to, to keep the patients coming and treat their macular disorders. The COVID questions relate, the COVID related questions are taken by telephone. And on the day of the visit, the patients enter the clinic with the face masks they are obligatory by law here in Argentina, I think for the last three weeks or four. Um, temperature is taken by a non-contact method. Gel alcohol is given to sanitize their hands. Patients go straight forward to the OCT. Uh, I receive them, uh, I inject them, and later by telephone, we arrange the next appointment, depending on the results of the OCT on the day of the injection. So we don't take the intraoperative uh, IOP, sorry, best corrective visual acuity. We don't do anything of that. It's OCT and injection. So in that way, uh, we, we reduced a lot uh, the waiting time from the time the patient entered the clinic until the exit uh, with, with, the with, with the injection being done. 
So the average time now re was reduced from two hours to 37 minutes. We have the, the <laughs> clinical re record that uh, when you hit, you, you can have the average time. And, um, and um, the number of eyes being injected by a single physician is seven per hour. Um, so although some patients prefer to stop treatment, nearly 96% of patients continue with the treatment. I think it's a really uh, good number. Uh, the, this number is, we included in this number, the patients that I, I some patients I had to refer these patients to uh, friends of mine, like all in Argentina, because patients, because of the strict lockdown we have, so patients, per, yeah, perhaps they, they can't uh, travel a lot. And some patients from other uh, uh, countries near. Um, so... Yeah, so, so you're streamlining everything to keep patients safe. Uh, yes. I, think, I think it's very important to uh, their sense of safety. So Dr. Lu joined us. Uh, Dr. Lu, uh, we really are interested in your perspective. What are you doing at Tongan Hospital? It's one of the largest uh, eye hospitals in China. Uh, and we're, we really want to know how the clinics are running, what different, what changes ha have you done uh, in the way that you are seeing patients and keeping them safe. Yes, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so my hospital, as nearly uh, as yours, uh, almost totally locked down since the outbreak uh, of the COVID. Uh, so the pandemic uh, started early in 2019 winter in Wuhan and then spread to the whole country in, in China. But uh, the things become getting worse after the Chinese uh, traditional New Year uh, because we have uh, seven days holiday off and when we come back, the situation is getting worse and worse. So hospitals almost locked down because the hospital was considered to be places that are likely to have tra uh, virus transmission. So the patients are always scared to go to hospitals. And so the patients, even though in, in emergency cases when we go to hospitals, need the COVID-19 screening. And that makes things even more difficult for us to, to continue our practice. But uh, for my doctors, uh, because actually has been considered one of the highest risk clinics due to a confirmed hypothesis because there are some doctors, they said, that uh, conjunctiva might be a way for virus transmission. So, so everybody's so nervous. So I clearly perhaps will seriously interrupt it. So at the beginning of the academic Let's talk about uh, OR setups. I think it's very universal that in the clinics, we are all having patients be masked. Uh, are, is everybody checking them for temperature or asking them about COVID? At least, you know, we're, we're doing that. I, I'll tell you a little bit about my protocol. You know, uh, the patients are called before. If they have been ill, they, they don't come in. As soon as they come in, they're checked for temperature. Uh, and the waiting area has been dispersed so that everybody is six feet apart uh, with a mask. And just like Dr. Charles said, you know, we're keeping having them come in and out as quickly as possible, not doing as many tests as, as we used to do before. 
uh, so that they can get out. Uh, and one question, so what are you doing in the operating room? In, in our operating room, I, I operate at two different surgical centers, and in one of them, uh, they're requiring uh, the patient to have uh, the serological test, not the serological, the molecular test, the PCR test before they're taking into the OR, unless it's an emergency, because those tests, at least here, it takes two to four days for the results uh, to be there. But we're taking the extra precautions, especially when we have to give them general anesthesia uh, and the like. And the waiting room, you know, we have everybody waiting in their cars, the family members. Um, so to basically keep, uh, keep uh, to have no conglomeration uh, of patients. Uh, so wh what is the, what cases are you doing or operating on and what protocols in particular are you using in the operating room? <clears throat> in La Ceguera, uh, we are doing very elective surgeries. Uh, fortunately, we in retina are the ones that are doing most of the surgery. Uh, Facus surgery, for example, has diminished really a lot, very selected cases. And uh, what, what it's been uh, done, it's like you said, everybody obviously with, uh, with uh, N95 masks, and uh, we're trying to, it's, it's really sad because it's a teaching hospital. So we have to diminish the number of residents or fellows uh, per OR. So it's uh, uh, the education of the fellows, it's surgically, it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem. But we, we have to be very safe as, as possible. And uh, uh, we are selecting obviously uh, cases that are that really need surgery, retinal detachments or uh, glaucomas, uh, you know, the typical stuff that we have to do uh, globally. But I was I was listening to uh, uh, Ihab Reyes, our friend from Egypt, in one of these uh, uh, interviews, that he was saying that in Egypt they didn't do any special thing. I mean, they were doing surgery in all cases. And really, that surprised me a lot because uh, there are different perspectives that we have in the world. So uh, this is basically what we, we are doing. We're trying to be as safe as possible. Are you, are you testing the patients or and are no. you testing the staff? No? N not yet. I think it's the next step. This, is, this pandemic is very interesting because uh, it has, for me, it uh, teaches that we could do better things if we listen carefully to our friends that were, you know, uh, in the front line at the beginning of this pandemic, for example, Italy, Spain, obviously China, and uh, uh, we are obviously uh, in the, you know, in the back for uh, about one month. So uh, I think we will start doing uh, testing the patients for uh, PCR, but mm -hmm. until now we are not doing. And even though, uh, you know there is a 30% of false negatives in the PCRs. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, with, what we have to do is consider all human as a positive case. Uh, your friend, your colleague, whatever, maybe he has COVID now. So it's an antisocial situation. Mm -hmm. And for us Latins, it's very difficult. Yes, I, I understand. So uh, my, thank you, Virgilio. Uh, Martin, uh, so what is your protocol for the operating room? Are you testing your staff? Uh, are you testing the patients? What precautions are you using? Yes, although we have two fully equipped operating rooms, 
we are only using one to keep like a low number of personnel and patients inside the facility. And uh, regarding general retina surgeries, we try to focus only on, on macular hole surgeries and retina detachment surgeries. Uh, we had one patient with a retina detachment that panicked and didn't want to go to surgery. So that's like something really new for us. Uh, FACO surgeries uh, were re reduced uh, by 80%. So only on patients that are seeing really bad, uh, we are doing cataract surgeries. And uh, regarding testing, we don't have that capability yet, but I think we, we will move forward to, to that. Hmm? And uh, well, general uh, things like using N95 masks and uh, we, we give a mask, a surgical mask for every patient. Although they come with their masks, we change it uh, for a new one when they enter to the OR. And uh, well, nothing more. It's interesting because what is what has been happening to me, I don't know if, if this has been your experience. Uh, now the patients are wearing masks in the OR and it's, uh, the, the, it tends to fog more uh, the biome. Uh, and things like that. So there's different uh, taping strategies that we're doing the same when we are examining patients, you know, with the masks and you're using the indirect or you're using the 90 degree lens at the slit lamp, uh, you get a lot of fogging. So what I have been doing, and this is a little trick that I want to mention, it will be useful is to tape. I tape, I tape their masks, you know, like we tape our masks in the OR so that that makes it easier. So it's just uh, something that may be useful, useful to all of you. So it, it's interesting because I think no, nobody's really testing people. Um, uh, I, I know that testing capabilities uh, are low. In, in one of my surgery centers, it requires everybody to be tested uh, in PCR, the whole staff. Uh, but that is that is not the norm uh, in many places. And in one OR we have to test all the patients, and the other one it's up to the up to the surgeon. Uh, I have been testing patients because now that we have more capability, I think it's going to give us more information about what is happening. Not that I'm going to stop doing a retinal detachment just because somebody is positive, for example. I will still do it. Uh, so, but I'm like with Helio, I'm just assuming that everybody has COVID and that everybody can potentially uh, spread it. And I'm taking all of the precautions. We're all wearing scrubs now to go to the, uh, to the office to see patients instead of clothes, because it's easier to clean that. I think that has been tends to be the norm. Uh, but you know, moving forward, now that, you know, uh, for example, Martin, you're a little far ahead on the wave that maybe people in Mexico are. Uh, now that you're seeing maybe, you know, cases start going down in some places in Argentina and you're thinking about maybe relaxing and reopening more, what steps are you going to be taking uh, differently? Like, um, we, we think that the, the worst is still to come. So Argentina, we, we started very early on, on March uh, 20th. Uh, today is our 63rd day or 64th day of lockdown. We believe we will have the longest lockdown in the earth, um, nearly 80 days, and perhaps it will still counting. As we started very early, our casualties are very low. 
we have 10 deaths each day. Um, we are 45 million people. And uh, so as we started very early, I think the immunization, the natural immunization of, of our population will, will be very uh, low. And uh, I think the worst is still to come. So we are, we are expecting the wave to come and hit us hard in some time. Uh, so I think all these things that we changed, uh, they will continue for some months from now. In our clinic, we, we, we keep the social distance, distancing. Um, surgeries, like I used to schedule 40 minutes for retina case. Now it's one hour and 10 minutes. Um, we used to put every cataract surgery each 20 minutes. Now it's every 30 minutes. Um, and well, we try to keep a low quantity of people inside the clinic. The, the people that come uh, with, with the patients are, are kept outside the clinic. So for that purpose, unless they're disabled or very uh, uh, old, and uh, I think we will we will keep this this type of this type of of, uh, of mentality for a long time, like and perhaps six months more or until the. Yes. The, are, are you using any telemedicine? Uh, yes. Yes, we we do. We have like uh, five or six patients each day uh, with uh, telemedicine. But I think it's good for like conjunctivitis or like external uh, diseases, but it's I think not very good for like uveitis or or retina retina yes. cases. No, I think I think I, this will help us to move <clears throat> more to telemedicine and self testing in their homes, like the future OCTs that perhaps uh, you, we can deliver. Uh, like with Amazon or, yes, or yes. Uh, I think I think this will will push us uh, to move forward uh, to that 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 kind of of, of testing. Yes, uh, what, I what I have done what I have done uh, is I now I you know before I used to schedule patients more closely in the post op visits and things like that, and now I'm extending them more and having them call me. So I think moving forward, we will be more efficient in, in that sense. You know, we, I, I think if patients have more direct access to us, we may be able to have them have the burden of coming in all, all the time. But Dr. Lu, uh, are you here with us? Yes. Thank you, Dr. Lu. So, so please tell us about how the clinics are working and what, is, what, what things are you doing in your operating rooms? Well, uh, let me say that uh, since in China it's getting better and better. Uh, in the last two weeks, uh, the surgical volume has increased to the two thirds of our regular le level. For myself, almost the normal level. But uh, in, in the last two or three months, so we most of the, the patients, the practice are almost locked down. We always do the emergency case like the endophthalmitis, glaucoma, retinal detachment. The things that we're doing in the OR is that uh, we, we always test the, the temperature. At the early stage, we still lack the ability to check everybody. But uh, we, we just ask the patient, so the epidemiology history, the, the CT scan or the lung and the blood test. 
Uh, for me, I didn't take uh, any more precautions uh, besides I take a 95 mask, but I would not uh, use mask because it uh, it makes me difficult to use indirect ophthalmoscope and uh, to work on the microscope. But some of my uh, my colleagues they use double mask uh, of combined with a 95 and uh, and the surgical mask. But uh, for me, I was trying to forget about the COVID. 19 when I was doing surgery I want to focus because most of our patients are, are patients that are screened uh, moving forward I know that you in Mexico the peak has not been reached yet but uh, what methods are you thinking of adopting maybe in your private practice and also in La Ceguera uh, to open up a little more what what particular precautions do you think are key in keeping the cases low and making us be able to to incorporate and see more patients. For example, like you know, for detachments, I always try to do pneumatics whenever I can. Uh, but now that uh, we have more space in the operating rooms and we have more testing availability, uh, we feel more comfortable doing that. I think I think the key will be probably be you know more testing as far as to open up. Um, a little bit more, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, as you as you said, uh, we don't. <clears throat> I don't think we have reached our peak, and uh, this famous bending the curve. I think it's it all depends on how uh, a government does it, or how the people reacts. I mean, the general population, because uh, some uh, some social uh, part of uh, parts of the society understands be, uh, very well this problem but other parts they, they even think that it's a, a myth or it's not real so if you if you go out in the streets in mexico depending on the area you are in mexico city there are many many areas where people don't wear masks and and this is these are the hot spots in mexico city we are like a, a new york now we are uh, increasing every day that's in, in last uh, last day in the country we we have 3000 deaths so it's increasing like a lot and and i think that the actual numbers are very are much more higher so once we i hope we we reach our one one peak and then diminishes but i'm i'm afraid that we could be in a in a plateau for a long period of time so i don't know and, and, and general immunization it's very difficult you have to be like 70 percent to to be you know more calm but if not we will be in this in this time but let's assume i hope in in one month or two months uh, answering your question i think we we will have to uh, act completely different uh, teach all the personnel we are doing that but eventually i hope that the people, the, the patients, we all understand uh, that they have to be separated. We are doing that in the office, you know, the typical thing of putting a, a sign, don't sit here and then be, you know, separate. But people, I, I don't know, they don't understand because at the, at the entrance, for example, of the, the building in my, in my office, uh, uh, there are many specialties. They check you for the uh, temperature and there are marks in the, in the floor, but Yesterday I went to see I, I went over there to see a couple of patients, and and one one patient was you know behind me like this that ten, uh, ten centimeters from me, so it's teaching the people 
that this is a completely different thing that we will have to live for months or maybe one or two years. Yes. Thank you, Virgilio. I want everybody in the audience, feel free to ask questions. Uh, they can do it in the, in the chat. Uh, I, think, I think it's very interesting because as far as immunity goes, I was just reading today that, for example, in Sweden, where they did not do any lockdowns whatsoever, uh, the people who actually have antibodies, it's only uh, 7%. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's really you know waiting having everybody get infected and getting antibodies i don't think that is something that is going to happen and it would cost a lot of deaths uh i think you know what we're saying of people don't not taking it seriously i think it has to do so somewhat with the governments but also that we are not really seeing pictures of how bad it can be you know because of all of the HIPAA laws and everything, we don't see pictures of people in ventilators. We don't see pictures of people not being able to breathe. You know, we, we do not really see the reality. Uh, people don't see the reality that we may see in an ICU or in hospitals of how really, really severe, severe, you know, this, this whole thing can be. So I think we all agree that moving forward, we're gonna have to keep these precautions uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, so, uh, Martin, some final thoughts that you have on, on where we're going to be uh, maybe in two or three months, uh, how you foresee uh, your practice to be by then? Yes, I think if, if we can manage in Argentina to keep like a low number of deaths, uh, I think it will improve like 20% more or 30% more, but uh, I think on the next three or four months, uh, it will be below uh, it will be like below 50% of what we actually uh, the number of patients and surgeries that we we did uh, earlier and um, i think to to have the clinic uh, with the functionality of what was uh, before this i think it, it will we will have to wait like one year and a half from now. Okay. That is that is my thought. Okay, thank you, Martin. Well, there's a question from the audience. How are you handling general anesthesia uh, cases in the operating room? What precautions are you taking? And uh, how about pediatric cataracts and pediatric cases? Any, any things in particular? We are, we are trying to, uh, I mean, in, in surgery, it's, it's very difficult because uh, as you, you mentioned, the patient, if it's local anesthesia, okay, with a mask. But obviously, you have to take the mask if you want, you pretend to do general anesthesia. And uh, there has been some of these uh, <clears throat> acrylics that they put over the head because uh, after the, at the moment of extubation, normally he, every patient coughs and, and, you know, this is a very dangerous situation. So you have to put uh, one of these covers in order to de decrease the, no the, the amount of uh, uh, droplets that are flying in the war, and these are the, the dangerous things. So basically, that's that's the situation that we we have to do. Yes, uh, in the operating room, for example, for general anesthesia cases, everybody steps out until the patient is intubated. It's done done with the acrylic, uh, and then when they're going to be extubated, which is usually when there's a higher risk, everybody leaves. Uh, the operating room too, and they usually wait, you know, the protocol in the States is to wait 20 minutes uh, for that. And the same, the same with children. 
who are done under general anesthesia. I think we, we can go into some final thoughts about how we foresee this. Uh, let's see, some final thoughts, uh, Virgilio, of where do you see this a month from now and six months from now? How do you see uh, your practice, La Ceguera, things, uh, things being done? What is your, I know you do not have a crystal ball, but uh, if No, do. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it all depends on the, uh, the governments, I think. Uh, our government is starting to say that the lockdown, the partial lockdown that, that we have, <clears throat> will start to be, you know, more relaxed in June. I think in June uh, we will still we will still be in the peak, and but you know, economy it's pressing hard. I mean, we have to you know start doing things, mm -hmm. and I will say in in a month I think we will be about the same or worse in Mexico, and in six months I really hope that we are you know acting completely different, but seeing patients and the economy will will be better, I hope. But this is something that is hitting very hard uh, every country in different ways, in different moments, but there's no one, no place in the world that will, is not suffering this, even Sweden. I mean, every country it's in, in a huge problem. Yes, thank you, Virgilio. Uh, Martin, any final thoughts on, uh, on how how this how how do you think this will uh, will change you and your practice six months from now? I think we will we will keep the same way of thinking, social distancing. Uh, I really I really think that this will be over in one one year and a half from now. Uh, I I see it clearly, uh, unless a vaccine is 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 delivered but i don't know about that they they are hoping that at the end of the year uh, we'll we will have one but i think it will be starting on q2 next year and uh, i think this is this is something that will remain for a lot of months from and, and martin how do you think this will affect uh, the teaching of fellows it's it's really awful because our fellows their their surgeries uh, went down like eighty percent and uh, uh, we we have also a residency program that was sh we didn't this is the time of the year that the new residents uh, should enter and we didn't take them uh, we are hoping to that they will enter at the end of the year so it changed everything. So the good thing about this is we are all doing webinars in Latin America. We are very, uh, we have like webinars, like 10, 12 each day. Yes. So, so uh, we have everything in our homes and uh, uh, last three, three weeks from now, we, have a, we had a pandemic age-related macular degeneration uh, webinar about how we are handling things now in the pandemic and it it had really 3,000 visits and uh, it's it's really a, a new way of teaching and uh, we have to think about the good thing that good things that uh, this pandemic uh, brought so, so you, know, uh, you know maria I, I can i can answer from uh, our hospital as i get at this quest the same question 
it's very interesting how, for example, the, uh, the uh, teaching has improved a lot, at least in the retina department. Because normally, you know, uh, the sessions, we were like the, not all the attendees were there mm -hmm. because it was in the morning. Yeah. And now it's incredible how a lot of attendings are there. And, and I think uh, at least not the surgical part, you know, the teaching part of non-surgical, it's much better than before, thanks to this pandemic, because with this Zoom and everything, they are learning a lot. Surgically, this is a big problem. We are starting to, because not many attendings are going to the, to the, to the hospital, and the fellows are doing surgery, but not very well supervised. So what we are starting to do, it's another session. We are bored of sessions, but we have to do that with Zoom so that they present their surgical case complete and we have as staff, we have to evaluate and, and criticize what they did well or bad, etc. So it's a different time, different time completely. Yes, uh, well, Helio, I, I really think that this, you know, all, all tragedies and really give you an opportunity uh, to change the way you see the world and the way you did things. And I think this is no different. Uh, I think we will incorporate a lot of the things that we have had by force to do here, be more efficient, uh, the way we see patients, having more respect for their time, uh, uh, you know, as far as waiting and the treatment burden uh, for things, maybe incorporating telemedicine, maybe incorporating disposable uh, instruments sometimes, you know, to examine patients. I think uh, just being more more careful, just thinking that, you know, because another pandemic can, can come around. So I think to moving forward, uh, a lot of the things, a lot of the precautions that, that we have used uh, here, uh, we will be able to incorporate it in our practice, just like Martin said, and, and you have mentioned, and I think the educational aspects uh, that this has brought, you know, just having Zoom meetings may be the way to go instead of having the morning 7 a.m. lecture that everybody's in the clinic. Everybody could do them at home, could do them on Saturdays. I think this this really brings a lot of a lot of different things. Um, and let's see. There was a question. There's another question from the panel uh, from from the Facebook. Uh, uh, what, what, what do you do really um, when you have to do RDs? I think we're all doing RDs if patient wants. I think the, it's very important that we keep serving, serving our patients. Uh, so do you have any final comments that you would like to share with us, any of you three? No, with, with the pandemic, um, so what, what, what we want on the future to have long lasting drugs so the patients come less to the visits, uh, new, new tools for auto testing of the patients in their homes. That will be lovely also. And uh, I think to move on on the telemedicine, but the good telemedicine, because in ophthalmology, telemedicine is like, for, it's really good for perhaps 5% of, of, the, of, the, of, of the cases, no? Um, so that is my final thought. My, my, yeah, my, my thought is, is that, I, that I really hope that we move a little forward in order to uh, see more patients, 
and uh, because now it's it's we know perfectly that a lot of things are stopped elective surgery not only ophthalmological surgery a lot of surgeries in the world has stopped so it has to move forward in order to the patients with for example uh, chemotherapy they are not going to their chemotherapies because they are afraid to go out which is completely reasonable but I think in the next future, we will start seeing more patients and we have to be very safe taking care of them. Telemedicine is, a, is an issue that, as Martin said, I think in ophthalmology, it's quite difficult. If we were psychiatrists, it's perfect telemedicine, <laughs> but we cannot do a lot of things. And, and there is the legal part of telemedicine. If, I, if a patient sends me a picture of his eye and I think it's a conjunctivitis, maybe I will say, don't worry, use these drops. And it's not a conjunctivitis, and it's something else. So it has to be very, very, we have to be very cautious with telemedicine. It's more like supportive medicine, more than, not, not medicine, it's a supportive thing, not real medicine. So, so we will move forward on, on also this, in these things. Thank you, Rihilio. No, my, my final thought is I think that moving forward, we have to, the main thing is that to have patients feel safe. I think we have to have all the precautions. I think we have to give them a space to come to where they don't feel they're gonna be contaminated in any way or form. And I think that will help uh, keep things moving. I think uh, testing will help. And I think we're gonna, moving forward, be much more efficient. I think those are some of the lessons that I will myself incorporate in all this. But uh, on behalf of Retina Radio, I wanna thank you all for being here. Thank you, my panelists. Uh, for a wonderful session. So thank you all. Brynmar Communications, industry members, and eye care professionals are coming together to create a forum that connects the vision community in these unprecedented times. This program has been made possible in part with support from our premier sponsors, Allergan, Johnson Johnson Vision, Aerie, Novartis, and Santen. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors for their support of this programming. This webcast podcast is intended solely for ophthalmic healthcare professionals and ophthalmic industry representatives. By accessing this webcast podcast, I acknowledge that Brynmar Communications LLC, here in BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information presented in this webcast podcast. BMC, along with any all third-party corporate supporters of this webcast podcast, do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any of the opinions or information presented or mentioned. BMC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, reliance on, in this webcast podcast.